Hello, so today I'm not going to talk about the statue at the corner because thankfully that's dealt with. So today it's the statue of Begame from 1276. So quick little chat. It might actually be a bit of a short episode today, but it's a statue of Begame. Again, I would like to thank the statute book from 1761 called Statutes at Large, which if it wasn't for it, I probably wouldn't have got the full text. So yeah, full text is received. Um, so what I'm going to do is, as, as usual, I'm going to kind of read through it at the end. Now, the Statue of Begamy is really interesting because, well, although it's called the Statue of Begamy, Begamy only makes up a small section of it, but that's the section I'm going to focus on today. So yeah, the year is 1276. Uh, Edward I, i.e. Longshanks, he's been in the throne now for four years. And the statute basically is made up of six chapters in total. And the first chapter to the fourth chapter and the final chapter the sixth relates to land, pleas regarding the king, the king having a say instead of his justices, i.e. the travelling Aries, and some occasions women who own land not having to provide aid to the king. And to be honest, I'm not really going to focus on that too much because it's it's a little bit not that interesting. Uh, I'm quite happy to talk about kind of um, overarching kind of inheritance and stuff if it's if it's interesting. But to be honest, it's just kind of boilerplate stuff. But the fifth chapter is the reason why we're here. And the fifth chapter relates to bigamy and the clergy. Or canonical bigamy. So, again, I could talk all day on this. I don't really want to because... Time is limited, and let's try and make this kind of neat and relevant. So basically, the clergy at this point in England and in Europe, so you've, it's 1276, you've still realistically only got one church, as in the Catholic Church. Um, Protestant Reformation is quite some time off. So yes, um, so the church has wide power at this point, and one of the powers is if you're a member of the clergy, you could be tried by an ecclesiastical court. Now, Without getting into too much detail, it didn't actually take a great deal to be a member of the clergy. So, for example, if you could read in some cases, if you were a student, that effectively permitted you to be tried in front of the clergy. Uh, so this was kind of like a state within a state almost. So obviously secular authorities were trying to find ways to diminish this power. Um, so basically, without going into too much detail, the statute of begamy removed the ability people to take advantage of benefit of the clergy if they committed bigamy. Specifically canonical bigamy. So directly quote from legislation it states concerning men twice married called bigamia. It was men who had married twice which meant you then couldn't benefit from the ecclesiastical courts. So if you committed bigamy any crimes after that, you wouldn't be tried by an ecclesiastical court because of the begamy charge. So what's quite interesting is this is kind of the first example really of a central European body kind of enforcing a law in England. Now you could argue that's slightly different because you basically say the Normans, when they invaded, were, were effectively a central European power who then enforced laws in England. But this was basically the Catholic Church telling England to apply this law the statute was an adoption of the Council of Leon, decision of Omnio 
privilegio clerical nudali et coercione for seculares addict during 1274. So in 1274, the church, well, Council of Lyon, basically, say, hmm, time to, time to kind of crack down on this. And then two years later, the uh, England passed a law to that effect. So the Bishop of Rome, i.e. the Pope, uh, although kind of his first money goes at this stage, so not quite as powerful as the modern-day Pope, so he made it the Council of Viennes. So just just a vaguely quote from the the statue, whom the Bishop of Rome, i.e. the Pope, made it the Council of Viennes hath excluded from all clerics' privilege, whereupon certain prelates, and this is directly quoting. It's going to make a little. It's old English. When folk performs have been attained for felons, have prayed for them to be delivered as clerks which were made bigami before the fame confuti and gonna kind of break it down very basically if you commit a crime and you've committed bigamy beforehand and they know you've committed bigamy justice shall be executed by the lay people and not by the clergy so that, that that's kind of it really i'm going to talk about uh the medieval dispensations for canonical bigamy for a second from wolfgang Müller. So I've linked him, so he wrote an article in 2015, which is quite interesting, and then I'm going to kind of read out the thing in bigamy. So, church lawyers of the later Middle Ages spoke of bigamia as something that does not coincide with the modern English term of bigamy. For them, abigamus was not so much someone with two simultaneous spouses, but above all a man who'd been married twice, or alternatively to one woman with another sexual partner before or during the union. Such a bigamous, 12th century canonists concluded was ineligible for ordination to the ranks of lower and higher clergy. So they saw this as rooted in Christ's spiritual marriage to his church, which God is destined to be exclusive and everlasting. So kind of Wolfgang Muller points out the fact that you didn't have to be married to multiple women, because at this point divorce isn't really a thing. It was having potentially multiple sexual partners or being married twice, so technically you know, uh, in, in, in some cases that could be death. Key distinctions regarding legal status of big amia can be traced back to the earliest informative period of canonistic jurisprudence between 1140 and 1237. So where church lawyers began to refer to big amia as men who'd be married twice in succession. In this way, they had divided their flesh, which rendered them irregular and barred them from clerical ordination. Okay, so we're kind of, we're going down the rabbit hole of bigamy here. Bear with me. So in addition, the impediment was extended by interpretation to include those wedded to a widow or a spouse who'd committed adultery or who'd indulged in premarital intercourse, which meant there was no longer conformity to the idea of Christ's perennial spiritual union with the church's sole unblemished bride. So, again, this is a little bit outside my comfort zone of just purely legislation. So Wolfgang Miller basically says, from the point of the church at that point, if you had effectively split your affections, you weren't, you weren't married to the church. Refer to big amia and its derivatives in the original or one of the modern Western languages. So as a rule of thumb, the Latin expression always denotes a canonistic impediment, as in bigamia, 
while the use of the parallel English Romance or Germanic words point to two simultaneous marriages in the present day sense. Basically, if they're using the term, if they're using a Latin term, it denotes the canonistic issue as opposed to, so basically this law is all about kind of um, the canonistic issue of bigamy, if that makes sense. Legal commentary on the subject of bigamia attribute the right to dispense from the impediment, especially to the papacy. At the same time, general canon law, and you have a famous statute issued by Gregory X, who's the Pope who passed um, the thing uh, that we'll be discussing, at the Second General Council of Leon in 1274, that explicitly denied clerical status to bigamia and subject them to secular adjudication, i.e. what we're talking about. If you committed bigamy, you could be tried in secular courts. But to be clear, it's canonical bigamy, so it's effectively splitting your affections because this law references the canonical bigamy definition of of bigamia. So even the definition of the law states concerning men twice married. So it's not men who have multiple wives. It's men who have been married more than once. As they have split their affections, they no longer benefit from effectively like clerical courts because they are almost seen as secular. The text cited by the opening word in Latin as alter cantonius soon gained further visibility through its insertion into the Liber Sextus of Boniface VIII which from 1298 served as one of the authoritative sources for the study of canonistic jurisprudence. So in order to offer a decision through this present-day statement with regard to the doubt that's caused long-standing strife, we declare Cania Cal Begamus to be stripped of every clerical privilege and subject to the coercive power of the lay court any custom notwithstanding. Or to pain of excommunication, we also do not permit them to wear tonsor or the clerical habit. So if you were a bigamia, as in someone who had been married multiple times or affairs and split their kind of their split their love basically, you couldn't wear the well the clerical habits obviously and the tonsor is the kind of unique monkly haircut. It's like a shaved head but with like a kind of a halo in place. So, so yeah alter Cadianus was quoted far and wide to convey a sense of where precisely the line of division between clergy and laity has been drawn, and church lawyers recognised it in their defence of clerical authority and freedom from encroachment by town and crown officials. Yet in the particular instance of canonical bigamy, it handed lay judges a welcome argument in favour of their own exclusive competency. This is kind of the last point I'm going to make from the article. So a few late medieval lay governments exercised full control over Big Amia and the ascertains of their conditions. Among them, for example, the courts of France and probably the Aragonese king. In England, royal judges usually undertook the examination of clerical status by themselves, accepting, however, these suspects of Big Amia. In some areas, determination was left altogether in the hands of church administrators, again, contributing to a checkered landscape of local customs that future research may um, elucidate in appropriate detail. Due to the complexity of the situation, 
ecclesiastical elites would have been ill-advised to press the issue of dispensation for conical bigamists, practically in head-on. Any attempt to offer relief from the impediment on a routine basis would have come the face of a rule that not only bore the stamp of approval by a general council and a famous legislative pope, it was also backed by common opinion of the doctors at the canon law schools. Canonical bigamists they had conceded were ineligible as clerics, and what must have run them a lost cause and disputes over the boundaries of clerical jurisdiction. So that, that kind of covers it quite nicely. I'm just going to kind of summarise that for, for the cheap seats. Basically, this wasn't a fight the church was willing to make. Yeah, they, they, they just didn't want to waste the resources at this point. Now, the church is extremely powerful, but if you are a man of God and you've split your affections effectively, you, you step outside the church and you, you effectively throw yourselves on the secular power, which seems fair, kind of. Uh, well, it doesn't really seem fair, but I don't actually agree with ecclesiastical courts in themselves. Um, <laughs> but that's because I'm a modern person coming from kind of the idea of a nation state. Yeah, so so that's kind of it. Um, it's very, very interesting. Uh, and yeah, so the policy cycle. What's the policy formulation? Well, you've got a Pope who effectively doesn't want to waste resources defending bigamists or bigamia. Canonical bigamists, clerical bigamists specifically, he doesn't want them being protected by the church or involved in kind of the church's um, kind of judicial system, basically, or, or arguably judicial protections. On the basis of that, three years later, the England passed a law effectively bringing that into England. Decision-making, this must be pretty easy for the state. Um, this, this effectively allowed them to gain more power. And in the case of the church, they weren't willing to kind of waste resources protecting canonical bigamists. Um, implementation, well, obviously, this would be passed in the courts. And it would be a case where, um, you know, if, if you're found to be bigamist, you, you, you lose your power at kind of ecclesiastical courts. Um, modern evaluation, it's, it's more complicated at this stage because obviously um, it's not quite an agenda setting. You know, this was effectively the church giving up some of its power and saying it's not really something we want to waste resources fighting for. And equally, it was the state taking that on and saying we, we will. Um, you know, we're quite happy to take this on. We're, we're willing to. Fight. Yeah, it's a bit of a short one. Um, so I, I won't, won't, won't kind of labour the point too much as always. Um, this is me where I sit and read um, the, the kind of law. Um, leave me any feedback. Uh, I, I will be leaving the medieval period just for a while, or maybe I'm still considering will I jump back and forth. Um, I'm not entirely sure what next. Um, yeah, I've got a few ideas, but I, I kind of want to just stretch my legs slightly out of the medieval period, maybe jump forward a few hundred years. So that's, that's kind of my thinking. By all means, let me know. Give me any thoughts, and I can just kind of jump between it'll be a bit confusing but we'll, we'll see how it goes so yeah this so that's that's kind of the, the housekeeping if there's anything you want me to change let me know if there's any improvements let me know always a pleasure to hear from you yeah so let's talk about canonical bigamy So this is the law now. So this is uh, basically statute five. Right, so concerning men twice married called bigamia 
Now this is the key thing, it's twice married, so you don't necessarily, it's not bigamy as we would expect it to be. It's bigamy as, at the, I'm laboring this point, it's twice married. <laughs> so it's, you don't necessarily commit bigamy, but in the church's eyes, you're splitting your affections. Concerning men twice married called Bigamia, who the Bishop of Rome by a conflution made at the Council of Lyon, hath excluded from all clerks privilege, whereupon certain prelates, where fudge prefons have been attained for felons, have prayed for them to be delivered as clerks, which were made bigamy before the fame conflution. It is agreed and declared before the king and his council that the fame conflution flal be understood in this wife, that wherefore they were bigamy before the fame conflution or after, they shall not from henceforth be delivered to the prelates, but justice shall be executed upon them as upon other lay people. Nice and short to the point. I don't want to go into the rest of the statute, to be honest, because we're, we're only really here for the bigamy. You could say isn't bigamy. Yeah, it's a pleasure. Thank you for listening. And uh, have a nice day. Goodbye.